0: Well, I'd like to invite Sandy to come forward and read our sermon passage today. If you have your Bible with with you, it's John chapter 13, verse 1 through 17, and if you don't, you're in luck because it's on the screen and you have Bibles in your pews, so that helps. Anyways, here's Sandy. Sandy, I'll pass the microphone off to you.
1: It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave his world and go to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world and loved to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already promised Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sends him. Now that you know these
0: things, you will be blessed if you do them. Thank you, Sandy. Well, I just invite you to just pause with me and go to the Lord in prayer.
1: Lord, I just ask that you would teach us today.
0: Lord, help us to be listening to you today. Lord, I just I pray that this message would not go in one ear and out the other, but that it, it would be a, a message that moves us and stirs us to action Lord I pray that we would hear it and we move, move from our head to our heart to our hands Lord more than anything I just pray that your Holy Spirit would come Holy Spirit come guide us through the reading, understanding, and hearing of your word Lord unless you Build the house to workers' labor in vain. Lord, do what I and everyone else can't hear, can't do here today. And that's wake up
1: and call to life.
0: Lord, we love you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, for as long as I can remember, until I reached my 30s, which, yes, I am in my 30s, contrary to popular belief, I have struggled with insomnia. I'm sure a lot of you have or are struggling with that in your life. And thankfully, after making a lot of lifestyle changes around three years ago, I have not really struggled with insomnia anymore, thankfully. But for most of my life, it has been a constant struggle for me. As a child, I remember laying in bed for two to three hours. Yeah, you heard that right. Two to three hours each night, wide awake in a dark room, just waiting and waiting and waiting to fall asleep. (laughs) I was chronically tired, and I would stay up late because my only other option was laying in bed for two to three hours. And who wants to do that? But as I grew up into my high school and college years, I would just try to fall asleep with the TV on so that I wouldn't be too bored while I was laying in bed trying to fall asleep. But sometimes that made it even more difficult to sleep because what I was watching was too entertaining. So finally, in my late 20s, I was sure that I had discovered the perfect answer to my insomnia. Bob Ross. let me explain. In the 80s and 90s, Bob Ross had a TV show called The Joy of Painting, in which he would not only paint a beautiful masterpiece, but he would guide the audience along so that they could also learn about painting and become a better painter themselves. And for those of you who have seen Bob Ross's painting show before, what stands out about him, along with his amazing haircut, is his soothing voice as he paints his happy little trees. When you watch Bob Ross paint, it is such a relaxing experience because you have the relaxing atmosphere of the show and the sounds of the gentle brush strokes across the canvas, all combined with the soft, reassuring voice of Bob Ross teaching you how to paint. And that's pretty nice. Um, So as a person born in the 90s, I knew of Bob Ross, but it wasn't until his show was put on Netflix, of course, that I really started watching his show. And as embarrassing as it is to admit it, I actually tried to cure my insomnia by watching Bob Ross paint. And you know what? As crazy as it sounds, there were nights where it actually worked. But honestly, most nights, it was just another show to keep me company while I unsuccessfully tried to fall asleep. Now, okay, let's fast forward to July of last year. Insomnia at this point, uh, thank God, was no longer something I was dealing with. It was a thing of the past for me. I don't really struggle with that anymore. And on one particular Saturday, I was enjoying a restful day with my wife, Marcella. And I asked Marcella what she would enjoy doing for fun that day. And do you know what her response was? Painting with Bob Ross. (laughs) What? (laughs) Painting with Bob Ross? Look, don't get me wrong, I was excited about the Bob Ross part. I like watching Bob Ross. I like admiring him and his paintings from afar but actually painting with him? Isn't that going to be messy? Isn't there a chance I won't do it right? Won't it be more stressful that way? What if I don't do it as well as he does? It was safe to say that when it came to painting with Bob Ross, I was not very excited about the painting part. I wanted to admire Bob Ross from afar. I didn't actually want to do what Bob Ross did. That sounded messy and challenging. Now, if we're honest, we often approach Jesus in the same way, right? We admire him from afar. We like what he has to say, and it makes us feel good. We are amazed by his teachings and the way he lived his life, and we even make and watch movies and TV shows about him Look, to be clear, there's nothing wrong with those things. But the problem occurs when we stay there, when we just stay there as an admirer. The problem occurs when I am merely an admirer of Jesus and not a follower of Jesus. Why? Because that's not what discipleship is. Well, Jesus had many admirers, but not many disciples. But as we've seen over the last few weeks, what was his mission that he gave his disciples before he ascended into heaven? It was to be disciples who make disciples. Now, what is the vision Jesus has for his church? You know, you'll see up there, Vision Series 2024. What is the vision that Jesus has for our church and all of his church? It's discipleship. And as we've seen over the last few weeks, discipleship means, or specifically discipleship to Jesus, means that you've committed to arranging your life around three goals. Being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. That's the one that we're talking about specifically today. Now the elephant in the room, though, is that we don't always know what it looks like to do what Jesus did or how to do what Jesus did, or even why we should do what Jesus did. Look, we need what Jesus' first disciples needed. Guidance. We need guidance. And in our passage today, we receive that guidance from Jesus himself. Look, in this passage, we get to be a fly on the wall as Jesus had his final meal with his disciples before his arrest, trial, crucifixion, and resurrection. But Jesus and his disciples were celebrating what? They were celebrating the Passover festival together. And New Testament scholar, N.T. Wright, points out that when John, remember this is the book of John, when John mentions a Jewish festival, so like the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles, and now the uh, Passover feast, when John mentions a Jewish festival, he wants us to understand that Jesus is applying its meaning to himself. Have you ever noticed that? So what is the Passover festival and how does its meaning apply to Jesus? Well, as you might remember, when God was about to set his people free from slavery to the Egyptians in the book of Exodus, God warned Moses that he would put to death the firstborn of both people and animals in one night, and that night would be known as the Passover. Why? Because God's judgment would pass over any household that sacrificed a lamb without any imperfections and put the blood of that lamb on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they ate that lamb. This is what the Passover festival that Jesus ate with his disciples commemorated so that God's people would remember the sacrifice he provided in order to save his people from slavery and deliver them from death. That's what the meal Jesus is taking part in here, in this passage is all about. In our passage today, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to be the final and the ultimate Passover lamb. He himself. Now, okay, You might be asking what would we need a Passover lamb for? What do we need rescuing from? Well as hard as it might be for us to believe, our condition in life is not any different from the Israelites who were uh, delivered in the Exodus. We are born as what? As slaves to sin. You might say, "I'm, I'm not a slave. Well according to scripture, yeah, you, you were born as a slave to sin. We're born as slaves to sin, and ultimately we're doomed to die apart from God. That's our condition. Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 14, that he, along with everyone else, had been a slave to sin. It doesn't get any more clear than that. This means that Paul was deeply broken on the inside. And his life continually fell short of the vision God had for his life. His body had been corrupted by this disease called sin, which basically means there's something broken inside of you. His body had been corrupted by sin, and it kept him from experiencing the true life that God made us for. And really, all that Paul could ultimately look forward to without someone to save, deliver, rescue him, was death. But, as Paul went on to say in Romans 7, verse 24 to 25, What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God, who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Look, and that is exactly what Jesus knew that it was time for. During the dinner, he was eating with his disciples in this passage. It's time for the ultimate exodus. It was time for him to lay down his life for his people so that they could be delivered from their true enslavement to sin and death. That is what was happening. It was time for his life to enter into their practically dead bodies. So that his life, in other words, his spirit, the Greek word is Zoe, could become theirs if they would accept it. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17, Now the Lord is the spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. You ever seen a dead body before? How much freedom do you see? Not a whole lot. But when someone is breathing, moving, living, you are free. you are free. Where the Lord is, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. There's freedom. But Jesus was making God's life-giving Spirit available to all, and therefore, he was making true freedom, the freedom to live, this is what true freedom is, the freedom to live a life in full access and relationship to God without any barriers, as it was always meant to be. He was making that available to everyone. That was true for them then, and it's just as true for us today. Now, you might be thinking, Cody, that's amazing. That's amazing. But what does that have to do with doing what Jesus did? Everything. Look at what Jesus said in verse 7 to Peter before he washed his feet. He said, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later. You will understand what was going to happen later. Jesus was going to literally lay down his life and go through hell for Peter. What is hell? It's the absence of God's loving presence. That is what Jesus was about to go through on the cross. And he was about to go through that for Peter, so that Peter would never even have to worry about that. But Jesus made it clear in this verse that we can only truly understand what he is calling us to as his disciples if we understand what the washing of his disciples' feet represented. Look, Here's what this passage is saying. He's not just calling us to do a few nice things here and there, which is how we typically take this passage. He's calling us to lay down our lives in love as he did. That's the meaning of this passage. Look at the posture of Jesus here. What is he doing? He's not demanding that everyone else get up and wash his feet covered with the dust that they had just walked through to get there. He's getting up from the mill to wash that dust off their feet. And of course, they were shocked because washing the feet of someone before a mill was an act of service that not even Jewish servants would perform. It was considered beneath them you heard that right jewish servants servants would consider washing someone's feet at a meal that's beneath me i will not do that instead they only allowed gentile slaves women and children to perform the act of washing people's feet before a meal so you can imagine the look of horror on the disciples' faces when jesus took the role and the posture of a gentile slave a woman and a child by washing their feet. In doing this, Jesus conveyed what it looks like to really love and care for someone, and what he expected them as his disciples to do. Keep in mind that disciples in those days copied and imitated their rabbi, even to the point of trying to talk like their rabbi, trying to imitate their cadence, their tone of voice, the way they talked. Jesus, however, wasn't calling them to talk just like him. He was calling them to love like him. That's what he was calling his disciples to. Love, according to Jesus, requires getting our hands dirty. It requires getting up from our mill even when it's inconvenient. It requires mundane, boring, unglamorous, and typically unnoteworthy acts so simple that even a servant could do them. And that's exactly the point. That's exactly the point. Jesus came to us not in order to be served by us, but to serve us. When the Son of God came here, he did not have his own welfare in mind, but the good and the welfare of others, of us. Look at what Paul said in Philippians 2, verse 3 through 11, about what it looks like to imitate Rabbi Jesus. It's a little bit of a longer passage, but really listen. This is what he's talking about. Look, Paul said, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In other words, don't do anything because, ah, this is only good for me, or ah, I'm better than everyone else. Rather, in humility, in other words, by lowering yourself down, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He didn't say, well, I'm, I'm one with God, I'm God, therefore get down and serve me. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, the most humiliating and shameful way you could ever die. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is what Jesus did. He served in love. This is what the kingdom of God looks like, washing dirty feet. This is who God exalts, those who lower themselves to be servants. This is what doing what Jesus did looks like, not just admiring him as he washes feet, but joining him. When I was growing up, on the occasions that we went to church together as a family, we would go to a mega church with thousands of people in the Dallas area called Lake Point Church. We would park, okay, we would park in the parking lot all the way over at Coles and wait for the bus to come and pick us up. And the bus would take us to the church because the church parking lot was so full. Yeah, some things actually. Are bigger in Texas. <laughs> we would walk into the massive auditorium, find a seat, listen to the worship music and the sermon, walk out, wait for the bus to take us back to our car and drive home. All I saw of the pastor each Sunday that I went there was only what I saw on stage each Sunday. So naturally when I felt called To be a pastor at the age of 17, I thought that pastoring was just teaching and preaching from the stage. However, when I went to seminary several years later, I was mentored by a pastor of a much smaller church. And he would take me with him on pastoral care visits. And he told me one day that we were going to visit a member of the church who was unable to leave his house. My pastor referred to him as a shut in. And this man, unfortunately, was hardly able to really take care of himself. He didn't have, I mean, he had a nurse to kind of come in every once in a while, but he didn't really have anyone to really, let's just say he couldn't do it himself. Now, when when we got to his apartment room, we went inside and sat down next to him. We visited with him for about an hour, and I noticed that my pastor was not in a rush to leave. But simply enjoying his time spent with this man. And when we left, I pointed out to my pastor that this man was living in a really bad situation, really bad condition. Yeah, he told me on the drive back, I've I've gone over with some members of our church to clean his apartment before. And it wasn't easy. I, I had the bathroom. I remember sitting there in stunned disbelief. Like, wait, what? this is pastoring? It's not just standing up on a stage and preaching? I'm sure my reaction to finding out my pastor had cleaned someone's dirty bathroom was similar to the reaction of the disciples as Jesus cleaned their dirty feet. It was at that moment that I realized that following Jesus is about so much more than just hearing sermons and singing songs on Sunday and reading the Bible. Those things are good and necessary. But following Jesus is also about serving and loving people on behalf of Jesus so that they can know that they are deeply loved by him and they are not forgotten by him. By the way, what my pastor did for this man is not just for pastors. It's a pastor's role to set an example, to gently instruct, and to equip the church for ministry. But it's all of the church's job to do the ministry. But okay, where do we do this? Like, where do we actually go to do what Jesus did? The obvious reality of this passage is that doing what Jesus did requires us to actually go out among real people. Jesus said in verse 17, Now that you know these things, You will be blessed if you do them. Look, I just want to say that's part of why it's so damaging to just sit at home and watch a church service on TV or online and never actually become a part of an actual local church fellowship. Look, I know there are special occasions and reasons that keep us at home sometimes, but we weren't meant to just stay there and live a private, individualized faith. How will you ever be able to wash people's feet that way? But I don't like all the people at church. When you read the Gospel accounts of the disciples, they didn't really seem to like each other very much either. They were constantly competing with each other and arguing with each other. But people are messy. Yes. That's exactly why Jesus washed their feet. But I might get hurt by people. Yes, you most certainly will. You will. And you will definitely, at some points, be the person who hurts people at church. But I want you to really think about whose feet Jesus washed that night. Judas. It's clear from verse 11 that Jesus already knew that Judas would betray him. And yet Jesus still got his towel and his fingers dirty with the dust of Judas' feet, gently and lovingly washing them as if they were his own. That doesn't justify what Judas did any more than it justifies the wounds you may have experienced or given others at church, but it does tell us a lot about love. It's easy to love people when you're safe at home. It's hard to love people when you're actually with them. And yet, love steps out into the messiness of the lives of real people. This doesn't mean that there are never legitimate reasons or times for you to leave a certain church community. I want you to hear that loud and clear, especially if it has become an an abusive environment. That's a legitimate reason. To leave a church community. There's no repentance seen at all. But what it does mean is that you can never follow Jesus's example of washing other people's feet without other people. Being in community is not an added bonus of following Jesus. Being in community is where we come to put our discipleship to practice. It's part of discipleship to Jesus, not the icing. It's the cake. Look, being in community is where we grow, not just in what we believe, but in living out what we believe. Being in community, it humbles us, just as it humbled the disciples in this passage. It shows us what we actually believe, rather than what we say or think that we believe. Do you realize that? Look, I'll give you an example. I can say I am the best basketball player in Bowling Green, Virginia. I can even believe that. Some of you are like, what? Trust me, I'm not. (laughs) But, when I actually go out to play basketball among other basketball players in Bowling Green and miss almost all of my shots and let the person I'm defending get past me nearly every play, I, I not only improve my game through doing that, through actually playing, I also see what I need to improve in my game. And what areas i need the most help in Do you see that i don't grow as a basketball player in spite of the other players around me i grow as a basketball player because of the other basketball players around me but when it comes to following jesus it works the same way i can say i'm the most people-loving jesus-adoring generous and kind person in the world but when I get around real people and experience how unlovely they can be, I start to see how unlovely I actually am, too. Among actual people, I find it's not as easy as I thought it would be to wash Judas's feet. In his book, The Holy Longing, Ronald Rollheiser says, What church community takes away from us is our false freedom to soar unencumbered like the birds, believing that we are mature, loving, committed, and not blocking out things that we should be seeing? Real church going soon enough shatters this illusion and gives us no escape as we find ourselves constantly humbled as our immaturities and lack of sensitivity to the pain of others are actually reflected off the eyes that are honest and unblinking. We can be very nice people, pray regularly, be involved in social justice, and still not be fully responsible. It is still possible to live in a lot of fantasy and keep our lives safe for ourselves. So yes, people are messy, but so are you. Otherwise, Jesus wouldn't need to wash your feet. It's only within the context of real people that we get to experience our feet being washed and that we get to experience washing another person's feet. Yes, the greatest wounds you will ever experience will be at the hands of other people. But it's also through the hands of other people that you will most tangibly come to experience the healing, love, and touch of Jesus that you need. And this is why Jesus has called us to do. What Jesus did. Because we now see him acting most clearly through what? His church. His church. But when when speaking to the Corinthians, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12 27, Now he? Now they? No, now you are the body of Christ. And each one of you. Is a part of it. But during the days of Jesus's life on earth, people were meant to see him by looking at his physical body. And though he was raised from the dead with a, with a physical body, he's not a ghost, he's raised with a transformed physical body, he ascended into heaven and has assigned his disciples, aka the church, to represent him and reflect him on earth while we are here. As Teresa of Avila once said, Christ has no body now but yours. No hands but yours. No feet but yours. Yours are the eyes through which Christ's compassion must look out on the world. Yours are the feet with which he is to go about doing good. Yours are the hands with which he is to bless us now. This is why Jesus told his disciples in verse 14 through 15, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And when we are operating this way, church, it is an incredibly beautiful thing to behold and experience. It is incredibly beautiful because we get to experience being on the giving end of doing what Jesus did. Again, N.T. Wright, he says, you probably won't realize it at the time. You'll be too busy thinking of the people you're working for and with, but as you look back, you may be startled by the joy of realizing that as you walked into that house, that hospital, that place of pain, or love, or sorrow, or hope, Jesus was walking in, wearing your skin, speaking in your tone of voice. I've given you a pattern or an example, he said, and he meant it. Now, it's, it's beautiful when the church is operating this way and doing what Jesus did because we get to be on the giving end of it, but it's also beautiful because we get to be on the receiving end of others doing what Jesus did. Look, almost all of you, I'm sure, know that my wife is currently in the first trimester of her pregnancy. And it's not been easy for her, of course. But over the last couple of weeks, so many of you have brought meals over to our house, given us gifts, helped us with the maintenance of our house, offered to help us with chores and keep us company, and have made yourselves available for any help we might need And with each visit, each gift, each meal, each prayer, each offer to help, each check-in, and each kind word, we have been able to experience the body of Christ washing our feet in love. The call to discipleship may, look, I want to acknowledge this. The call to discipleship may seem intimidating or may even seem impossible to you. Like, "I, I can't do this. Okay, here's what I want you to see. With God's Guidance? With God's help? You already are doing it. Do you not see that? You're already doing it. That should be so encouraging. Is there room to grow? Of course! There will always be room to grow. But as we continue to be with Jesus together, we can become more and more like Jesus together. and We can find ourselves more and more naturally doing what he did. Church, you're already doing it. You're already doing it. As we do this, a picture of what Jesus, or I should say a picture of Jesus, will start to fall more and more into place through our words and our actions. Remember when I said that Marcella wanted to paint with me as we watched Bob Ross? Well, it was a totally different experience when I painted. Yes, it was messy. Yes, it was at times stressful. Yes, it could have gone better. Yes, I had to stop and rewind it sometimes to check what he was doing versus what I was doing. But at the end, there were two works of art, Marcella's and mine. And when I moved from just admiring the painter to painting with him, a work of beauty and art was produced. In Jesus's case, the instrument is not a paintbrush, it's our hands. And the canvas he has called us to is the feet of others. And as we join him in washing feet and serving others in love, the world will be able to experience the goodness, the beauty, and love of Jesus that he wants to share with them through us, his disciples. It won't be perfect when we do it, I know, but it will be beautiful. It will be beautiful. Now what does this look like in your life? That's one question I, I can't really answer for you. I can't answer that question for you. That's for you and the Lord to determine together. Remember, the question we're asking here is not so much about doing what Jesus did, but more about doing what Jesus would do if he were you. What would the act of washing feet look like in your home, in your family, at your church, at your school, at your job, in your neighborhood, in your city, in your country, in your world? My advice is just to start right where you are. Not where you could be, or should be, or would be. Just right where you are. Look, do you have a child? Maybe washing your feet could look like preparing your lunch to take with them to school. Do you have a parent? Maybe washing your feet could look like cleaning the dishes tonight after dinner. Do you have a spouse or someone you're dating? Maybe washing their feet could look like planning a date based on something they've told you that they love doing. Do you have a boss? Well, maybe washing their feet could look like asking them about their day or about their family and taking the time to listen without judgment or without rushing to leave. Do you have someone to supervise at work? In other words, are you someone's boss? Well, Maybe washing their feet could look like taking them out to lunch, as long as as long as it's appropriate, to encourage them in ways that they are doing well in their job, assuming that they actually are. The goal is not flattery. Look, there are so many ways that you can wash feet with Jesus. But remember that the goal is always to do this with Jesus. It's like I said last week, don't let this become something you do so that Jesus will love you. That is not the point. Remember, he washed the disciples' feet, not so that he could love them, but because he already loved them and wanted to show them. We are doing this because we have received this love from Jesus and we want to express this love with Jesus. So let's commit, as a church, to actually putting this into practice, doing one act of service for someone this week. Have I set the bar too low, it's better than nothing. It can be as big or as small as you want. Like I'm not limiting you to one thing this week, but let's just start this week just aiming for at least one thing. Just one thing. What's one way I can wash someone's feet this week? Look, don't let Jesus's words here in this passage end with this sermon this Sunday. But experience them as you wash feet with him. Then You will truly experience what Jesus said after he washed people's feet. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Let's pray. Oh Lord, you are so kind. You have washed our feet in love. Help us to receive that today. As you told Peter, unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. This is what it looks like being in relationship with you, Lord, receiving your love and your care. Help us, Lord, to receive it, and help us, Lord, also to do what you did to give it. We pray this in the name of Jesus.